0: Good morning. Good morning. Daylight savings time. That clock went forward an hour last night, and we all lost an hour of sleep. And in light of that, it is very gratifying to see this great, wonderful group here this morning. Thank you. So for a moment, imagine having some folks over for dinner. Now, not at your house, but actually inside a greenhouse where guests are seated at a very long table. Now, well, as a matter of fact, this is what happened last night. 152 people as far away as San Jose from the south, Cielo from the north, and Virginia from the east, People gathered in Arcata and dined at a 150 feet long table in the middle of a greenhouse surrounded by millions of tulips. When was that, yesterday? That was last night in Arcata. In the rain? It was inside a greenhouse. It was yeah. right. We heard the rain falling on the roof. <laughs> this dinner was hosted by the American-grown field-to-vase movement and in the middle of the greenhouse we were surrounded by millions of tulips that were ready to be harvested for the Easter holiday. What a joy to see all these happy faces treasuring the beauty of the flowers and the camaraderie of the people that were gathered together. Now these millions of tulips are grown in soil with composted bark as its core ingredient and even though composted bark is dirty and nasty and smelly, it makes for a great environment to make strong, healthy roots. Now, roots are strong and grow deep and make for great plants with beautiful, long-lasting flowers. This week I checked with uh, Dr. Gustav Haddock. he is a retired professor from NC State, North Carolina State University, and he is an authority on bulb research in America. And in the 60s he did trials with tulips using pots that were 40 inches tall, and the roots of those tulips grew all the way to the bottom they were 40 inches long and he claimed that if the pots would have been longer the roots would have been longer so in other words tulips are very deep rooting crops now roots are a foundation and so it is with today's message as we go back to the roots of christianity that are found in the old testament or in the jewish talmud We just read from Psalm 126, one of the ascension psalms, likely written by King David. And in Jewish tradition, these psalms were sung when the Jewish people went to Jerusalem for festivals. And as they walked up the hill of Jerusalem, they were singing these ascension psalms. And once into Jerusalem, they would sing an ascension psalm on each step as they went into the temple. Now in verse 4 in Psalm 126, it read, Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negeb. Now what is the Negeb? The Negeb takes its name from the Hebrew Negev, meaning dry. It's also located on the south side of Jerusalem. And it took its meaning south. So both the names south and dry are very fitting. Because the Negev Desert is in the most southern part of Israel. And it's also one of the driest places. So when David talks about restoring watercourses in the Negev, it seems like that would be taking place in a very unlikely place. Going back to the roots of the Jewish history, the Negev was a scene of many events in the Bible. In Genesis 12, we read that Abraham traveled through the Negev on his way to Israel, to, to Egypt. Later, in Genesis 21, Hagar and Ishmael were exiled into the Negev by Sarah. Then later on, Isaac and Jacob. Both lived for some time in the Negev. Then in the book of Joshua, we read that when the land was divided among the 12 tribes of Israel, the Negev was allotted to the tribes of Simeon and Judah. The Negev was also part of the kingdom of David in the 1000 BC. And after Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians in 586 BC, the Negev was taken over by Edom, its neighbor to the east, what we call Jordan today. Then in 1948, when the State of Israel was established, its leading founder, David Ben-Gurion, insisted that the Negev Desert was to be included as a part of the State of Israel. The Negev covers more than half Of Israel's land's mess. Restore our fortunes, O God, like the water courses in the Negev. Despite its desert nature, today the Negev provides Israel with some very productive farmland and abundant crops and water courses indeed. Now, these water courses comes through these tiny little chel- ch- channels that are called drip tape. And the tulips that surrounded that field of waste dinner last night are irrigated with this drip tape. As a matter of fact, just in the tulip house alone, there is more than 100 miles of drip tape going through the tulips. Feeding the crops with water and nutrients right at ground level so the tulips don't get wet. But did you know that drip tape was actually invented in the Negev in Israel in 1960? So in a way, the water courses in the Negev were restored. And it is this irrigation method that is used on vast amounts of, of farmland Producing very prolific crops, and then see these. What are these? Cherry tomatoes. These were also invented in the Negev Desert in Israel. These cherry tomato tomatoes produced in the Negev are world famous due to the brackish water and over 300 days of sunshine a year making it some of the sweetest tomatoes in the world. Now, our opening hymn this morning was Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, a hymn written by Henry Van Dyck, based on the tune of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. It is with this joy that David wrote about in Psalm 126. But what was this joy all about? Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with shouts of joy. The Lord has great things for us. He has done great things for us, and we rejoice. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Now, biblical sk- scholars rightly believe that this psalm was written to celebrate the deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian rule, and in particular after the Egyptian army was swallowed by the Red Sea. And in Exodus 15:2, Moses writes, The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. And then in Exodus 15:20, with great joy, Miriam, the sister of Aaron. "...took the tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed glorious, gloriously, horse and rider he has thrown into the sea." So going back to the roots, this event was, had such huge significance in Jewish history... That 200 years later, 200 years after David wrote this psalm, the prophet Isaiah also touched on this miraculous experience in Isaiah 43, 16, 21. We talked about that a little bit today. Thus said the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. So here we have Moses, David, and now Isaiah, all describing the same event, which the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and the mighty Egyptian army being destroyed. Obviously, this is a major cornerstone in Jewish history, going back to the root. Now the Israelites were saved from the waters of the Red Sea, and the Egyptians were not. But Isaiah is signaling something way more powerful that is to come. He says, Roots are important, but do not remember the former things or consider things of old. Isaiah is foretelling the coming of the Messiah. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. I will make a way in the wilderness. And rivers in the desert the Israelites were saved from perishing of the waters of the Red Sea but with Christ Jews and Gentiles alike as we sit here today we are saved from perishing with eternal life and Jesus said in John three sixteen, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life. The deep roots of Jewish culture and history are formed by this amazing event of the parting of the sea. But it was followed by the next 40 years in the desert. And it was during that time that Moses came down from the mountain of God. And it was during that time when Moses spent... The book of Leviticus, with 613 laws that shaped Jewish culture for the next 1500 years. And it is against that backdrop, through this lens, that Paul the Pharisee witnessed the world in the year 60 AD. Now in 2011 we still had a Borders bookstore in Eureka been long gone ever since but I remember going there in 2011 and searching for a book about the Apostle Paul and walking through the store I was surprised how many books were written on the Apostle Paul there was a whole collection of them and I remember buying a book called the first Paul written by Marcus Borg and John Dominique Croissant it's a great book it's an easy read and a great biography on the Apostle Paul but what stood out that Paul was an appealing apostle of Jesus whose vision of life in Christ is remarkably faithful to the message of Jesus himself the book of Acts and all the letters that Paul wrote provide great historical foundation to Paul's life to the conversion And the mission of the most profound evangelizer of Christian faith. Now today we will continue to be talking about joy. We'll be talking about the joy that overcame Paul. Having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now interestingly, Paul never knew Jesus. He never knew Jesus when Jesus was alive. Paul comes into the picture in the book of Acts after Jesus had ascended to heaven. But it is Paul who is able to articulate a deep sense of relationship with Jesus. That believers today, as we sit here in the congregation, we can use these letters as the ultimate compass, as a GPS. As a guiding light to know Jesus. And our scripture reading today is uh, from Philippians 3, verse 4 through through 14, and it can be found on page 198. So if you would like to follow along, uh, please do so. In force in verse 4 it says Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of them, people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless yet whatever gains i had these i have come to regard as loss because of christ more than that i regard everything as loss because of the superb surpassing value of knowing christ jesus my lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, now that I have already obtained this, or have I already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Beloved, do not consider that I have made it my own, But this is one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, the letters of Paul have shaped Christian theology the last two thousand years and Paul in his letter to the Philippians provides a very similar message as Isaiah did 700 years earlier this letter highlights the fact that Paul was a devout Jew and in verse 5 it says circumcised on the eighth day a member of the people of Israel raised from the tribe of Benjamin now, going back for the, to the roots for a moment, Benjamin was the younger son of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. Benjamin was the favorite child and a favorite tribe. According to Genesis 35, Benjamin was the only son born in the Promised Land. The tribe of Benjamin gave Israel its first king, King Saul. And Benjamin's territory did include Jerusalem. And so they had this marvelous city in their own land. Benjamin was a very special tribe. Loyal, faithful, maintaining high rank and status. A noble religious heritage. Paul was a Hebrew, born of the Hebrews. And as to the law, a Pharisee. Or well, the Pharisees were the advocates of the strictest, purest code of morality. And they studied scripture. And they were the ones interpreting the law. At that time, there were 6,000 Pharisees in Israel. They were devoted to the Jewish religion. And all Paul had his whole life was his religious background. But it didn't help. It was useless for salvation the ritual the race and the rank meant nothing they impressed Paul for a long time until he saw that awesome flower until he saw the treasure the pool of Jesus Christ and by comparison all other things were trash then in verse 6 it says As to zeal a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. blameless. He was serious about the zeal. He was determined to eliminate the early church as it was just starting to grow. He was so zealous for Judaism that he wanted to kill all the early believers in Christ. All the religious heritage of being a Pharisee could not lead him to eternal life and glory. And then in verse 8, he says, I count it all as rubbish. Now, This rubbish could be translated as garbage or manure or composting bark. And at the end of the day, to get back to this root, to the foundation... It's like a plant with great roots, beautiful roots, and a great stem, and lots of leaves, but no flower. Lots of plant with roots and leaves, but no flower. So here we have a man who spent his entire life accumulating ritual, religious wisdom, but at the end, the glory of God is manifested in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, through his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and his subsequent conversion, exhibits a remarkable transformation and recognizes that the past, the root, the law, none of it is relevant. The only thing that is important is Jesus Christ. And to use this uh, analogy of this deep rooted tool, and the soil and the roots that made this plant so beautiful we got the roots we got the bulb, we got the stem at the end of the day all what is on the bottom here is rubbish because what's important is the flower the flower itself the pearl the treasure the Lema God described in the manifestation of Jesus. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. We will close today with, O Christ, the great foundation, On which our people stand. A great hymn. Folks, Jesus Christ is our foundation. He is our redeemer. Our rock. Our beacon of hope in this troubled world. What an incredible gift to know Jesus intimately and to pursue the love of Christ. What a delight to know the same Jesus that 2,000 years ago healed the sick, drove out demons, performed miracles, was crucified, buried and resurrected on the third day and ascended into heaven. Jesus is the pathway to salvation. He is like a beautiful flower that never wilts. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. What a joy to let Jesus come into our lives in the midst of trials and troubles and difficulties. Jesus is our strength, our joy, and peace. Invite Jesus into your heart. Draw near to Jesus. Put your trust and faith in Him. Jesus Christ will lead us on that pathway, through that small gate, the narrow pathway to eternal life. Amen. Amen.